love this podcast? Head to patreon.com slash DATC Media Company to find out how you can show your support. This podcast is sponsored by FlashCityRecords.com, your go-to destination for a musical journey like no other. Check out their wide selection of vinyl with new arrivals dropping every week. Flash City Records, where the beats never stop and the tunes keep coming. In a very cool new addition to the Much Obliged podcast, The Yellow Balloon Experience, we now have merch. So check out www.yujam.com and click on the Community Impact tab. We've got a Much Obliged shirt and a Much Obliged podcast, The Yellow Balloon Experience shirt. If you get the plain Much Obliged shirt, the money from that goes to the table and that helps us buy more stickers and candy for shows. If you buy the podcast shirt, that helps us run this podcast. Can't wait to see you at a show in one of these shirts. DATC Media is very excited to be a Nugs.net official affiliate. Never miss the show. Nugs.net allows you to stream live concert audio and video in their app anytime, anywhere. Listen to last night's show with premium sound quality and official soundboard recordings. Watch a stacked archive of past live performances from countless artists and access future subscriber-exclusive live streams. Easily keep track of your tour highlights with shareable playlists and more. Take a scroll through and you'll quickly see why Nugs.net is my favorite app. Link in show notes to start your seven-day free trial. Nugs.net, where live music lives a member of the DATC media family. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of the Much Obliged podcast, The Yellow Balloon Experience. I'm your host, Benji, and I'm here without Lauren or Matt today. This week's episode, the interview with Keith, was done live on set at the Riviera Theater on New Year's Eve, a few hours before the Umphreys McGee concert. So you're going to hear some background noise. The sound isn't perfect. There's some stuff going on, and at one point, somebody stops and says hello. We did our best to edit it, and we hope you like the finished product. So let us know what you think, and here we go. Welcome to the Much Obliged Podcast, a Yellow Balloon Experience, where we talk to and explore the world of the live music fan base who have chosen to live drug and alcohol free. Each week, we will have a new guest and have a short interview with them and lead right into their speaker meeting that they share on our Friday night speaker meetings. New episodes drop every Monday at datcmedia.com. Make sure to check us out on Facebook in our Facebook group called Much Obliged, and come on over to Instagram, where you can find us at at Junkie, J-A-H-J-U-N-K-I-E. Now on with the show. So we should start off by saying congratulations. Uh, eight weeks ago, you celebrated 16 years. That's yeah, a little little milestone there. Yeah, it's Feel, uh, it feels good. Deal. Feels amazing. I don't know how I'm 16 years sober, uh, mainly because I don't feel old enough to be 16 years sober. That's uh, fucking relatable. Part of that is, oh, hey, we're gonna jump right into house audio tonight, huh? Well, background music for uh, for this recording. I've I've dealt with worse. Yeah, well, I've dealt with worse. I guess that's kind of what you get when uh, when you record a live podcast <laughs> right. here at the Riv Theater. 
right. um, when Humphreys is about to uh, blow the rooftop off tonight for New Year's Eve. They're getting ready. We should mention this is a special episode because we normally do this like over Zoom, you know, miles and miles, states apart. And mm -hmm. uh, tonight we're doing this live and in person. So. Hey, I love that. I love live and in person and, you know, just sitting down and having a, a conversation, especially with uh, like-minded people uh, within the Yellow Balloon community and, and uh, the 12-step community and all of that. You know, it's, uh, it's a beautiful uh, camaraderie and, and, you know, a brotherhood of, of collective people, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, you know, one people are going to hear your share after this interview, and I've heard bits and pieces of your story, and we'll hear the whole one when you when you do your share shortly. But getting sober in 2007, where your life was, the things that you were doing, was being where you currently are, running a production company, being house video for Humphreys McGee and other bands. What, what were the possibilities of that happening? Like, how how realistic could that have been 17 years ago? I mean, 17 years ago, it, uh, holding a job wasn't realistic. So, um, you know, being a productive member of society wasn't realistic. Um, you know, even five years ago, I wouldn't have said, you know, being where I am uh, was realistic. But, uh, you know, that's, I guess, the beautiful thing about sobriety is... Uh, things that you don't feel are realistic are suddenly attainable. And uh, being able to um, just put your mind to something and uh, work towards it, you know, the, the one day at a time doesn't just apply to staying sober. It applies to any goal, any aspirations, you know, anything that uh, you want to try to achieve. Yep. Getting the squared off pecs and the big shoulders. One day at a time, too. You know, it's, that's great. How do you, as a as a sober person, but also as a professional in the music business, hang around and you know keep your head straight with the chaos that goes on around you? I don't mean day to day chaos. I mean uh, recovery related chaos, right? People drinking, people smoking, people doing drugs. Like mm -hmm. you know, how, how do you, what are your tools to maintain? You know, how do I deal with the chaos of, of being in the music industry? You know, I don't, uh, for one, I don't think it's any different than the chaos of just normal life because, you know, in life on television and ads and, you know, any sports that we watch, uh, uh, it's always, you know, alcohol promotion and people having a great time and, you know, join the party, but responsibly, uh, at the end there of any commercial. And uh, I never understood that responsibly uh, uh, aspect of it. But how I do this is, man, I'm, it's, it's the tools that I have in, in my tool chest. It's the, you know, I immerse myself in the program early on and for a number of years where all I did was live and breathe recovery, which is still a big part of my life. But, you know, it, establish that foundation you know uh it's also seeing people at a concert and going wow that person reminds me of me look how fucked up they are or they just fell down and don't even know where they are and by the grace of god there go i right you know um and never forgetting the the type of alcoholic the type of drug addict that that i was you know i was never 
ever a guy that could do anything in moderation. And quite frankly, I still can't. You set a chocolate cake in front of me, dude. If I'm on a diet, fuck that diet. Yep. Like, that's just how I am, man. I am, I am wired differently than normal people. And, you know, uh, man, again, even if I'm on a diet and I start, I'll obsess over a certain food until I have to go get that food. Right. I, I remember as a kid seeing the Pringles commercial and thinking, they get it. Like, once you start, you can't stop. <laughs> right? Like, it's not about, you know, how many are going to have. I'm going to have fucking all of them. Right? So, my options are abstinence mm-hmm. or gluttony. Like, it, there's no in between. And that's true for everything. And, dude, I'm going to eat two pieces of chocolate cake and I'm going to feel great every moment that I'm eating that. And then afterwards, I'm going to feel like crap. Yep. And that is an analogy for all drugs and alcohol. By the way, I do it with positive stuff too, right? When I'm like healthy and working out and eating healthy, like I won't eat anything that's not healthy. Like I'll only eat the good shit and then I will go to the gym every day and I'll like put other shit aside because like I'm on a health kick right now and I've got to do that obsessively and it drives my wife crazy. <laughs> Reasonably so, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? She's like, are you sure you have to do that tonight because we've got things that need to get done? I'm like, can't miss the gym today. You know, so that moderation shit is hard. You know, Trey talked about, and I'm sure you've seen the interview and he hear him talk about that, like, uh, ceremony, so to speak, before going out on stage and um, praying in the bathroom and knowing that, like, there's somebody in the audience tonight who probably needs to hear this message. A, do you have anything like that before show days? Because show days can be hectic. And do you see other people in recovery in this in this community, the music community, doing stuff like that? Hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's uh, I think it's common for for a lot of different artists to uh, to have sort of uh, a ritual. Right. Um. I uh, before I direct a, a a concert, the video for a concert, I. You know, I am social, I am out talking to people until about 10 minutes, and I think I said it to you last night when we were talking, I was like, all right, I gotta go get focused, you know, I had to go get focused for the show and, and get mentally prepared, and that is part of me just sitting down for five or 10 minutes in, at the, in the director's chair, and, you know, just mentally kind of focusing on what's about to come, you know, and, I, I used to get really nervous before shows. And part of that for me was, you know, don't fuck up. Like, I don't want to mess up. Uh, uh, and that was the anxiety. And, you know, you get a little more experience now where I've been doing this now for well, coming up on, on four years next year. And I don't have that same anxiety. Yeah. Um, but the reason for that isn't the experience. It's the fact that I don't beat myself up when I make mistakes. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've had to learn as a perfectionist is like everyone makes mistakes. I was watching a, a 24-hour news cycle one day and within an hour they made two major mistakes on air. And I was like, you know what? These are the pros that do it 24-7, that spent their life, you know, uh, uh, preparing and, and, and gaining the experience to be where they're at, and they make mistakes. I can, you know, 
relax and not beat myself up. And, and I think that applies to everything in life. Um, you know, and you know, there's uh, a lot more serenity involved with my process now when I'm not holding myself to unachievable standards. Yeah. And, you know, and that even applies to the program because, you know, uh, myself, you know, I don't work a perfect program. And, and if I tried to work a perfect program, I believe I would be unhappy and, uh, you know, would, you know, when I don't have that emotional and mental and, and, you know, sobriety and all of that, then, you know, if I'm not maintaining that, I'm closer to not only being a dry drunk, but, you know, going back out. And so, you know, having a, having a, a perspective nowadays on, on life and, and situations and, you know, being able to, uh, oh. that folks was my daily reminder to read the reflection at 2 <laughs> PM every day. I, love it. I am not lying. I'm not a read it when I wake up type of a, of a guy. I yeah. am a, I'm bright eyed. I am, you know, yeah. I'm in the afternoon. I'm going to take a moment and, and reflect upon on the yeah. reflection today and then go back into my Love day. It. So Love it. every day at 2 p.m. my phone tells me uh, to, uh, to read the reflection. So on that note, mm -hmm. you go to meetings in many different places. Most people like me, you know, have a home group, have go to meetings in my city and occasionally a couple times a year we'll go to meetings somewhere else. But you're, you're all over the place. You travel. I'm all over the place, but I don't go to meetings all over the place. Gotcha. And the reason being is, you know, we load in in the morning and we load out at 1 a.m. Right. And we're on site. And so we see, you know, hotels and venues when I'm traveling. Right. Uh, the one thing that I do have opportunities to is hit yellow balloon meetings. Uh, and, you know, depending on what job I'm doing at a venue, if, you know, if I'm a photographer, I have the freedom. If I'm a director, then I have a lot of responsibility and I am focused on all of that uh, for, for most of the day. So my question is still going to still going to be pertinent. So my question was going to be, what's the weirdest thing you've seen in a meeting out there? But forget the AA meeting or the NA meeting. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in a yellow balloon meeting? Because oh, I know that, that, those, that those range from, from in regions and bands. Well, it's uh, two moments. Okay. One, uh, both are because they saw everyone grouped up in a circle. Yep. And, of course, we were passing around the yellow balloon. So one person uh, asked if it was filled with nitrous. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, I'm sure there's a few folks that have, might have experienced that at a yellow balloon meeting. Yeah. And then the second is easily, you know, same scenario, obviously, but someone walked up trying to sell us drugs. Right. right? And, I love it. Uh, you know, wrong demographic. Yeah. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we had a guy left who said that in the middle of the share, somebody grabbed the meeting, grabbed the balloon out of his hand opened it up and started sucking on it. He goes, hey, this is just full of hot air. And he was like, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's great. It's great. You know, you're, uh, you don't know this, but uh, I use your story uh, sometimes when I'm talking to people about uh, being able to get through anything, uh, through hard times. Uh, so during early COVID, you and I had a conversation 
and you were like, dude, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do because mm -hmm. my life uh, financially and business-wide is, is sort of decimated, right? Your life revolved around live events uh, and being able to shoot that shit. And, you know, I didn't have any solutions for you because the fuck, I, I was trying to figure out the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm in the real estate business. And, um, you know, we sort of came to the conclusion together that we just have to... Good, how you doing? You too. Uh, we, we sort of came to the conclusion together that, like, we just have to keep doing the next right thing and, you know, one foot in front of the other and one day at a time. And all those annoying cliches that are fine when you're feeling good but are a pain in the ass when you're feeling bad, um, you know, we just had to keep doing those things. Uh, and thank goodness... You know your your business changed and your abilities changed and your skills changed three and a half almost four years later how do you feel about that like covid how, changed my life tell me about it for me it was a silver lining for a number of reasons you know i was uh you know uh, uh 13 years sober wasn't working a program wasn't regularly going to meetings wasn't working the steps i wasn't doing the things that you know putting in the work to get the benefits of the program and COVID uh, it allowed me Nashville we're in the south they didn't really stop having meetings based on the meeting right some meetings were like you know what we're gonna roll the dice and uh, I uh, got invited to go to a meeting with somebody and I never stopped going I went the next day and the next day and the next day and you know I immersed myself back in a program of recovery so in that sense you know there's a lot of gratitude for uh, you know what happened you know my my job you know all of my work disappearing you know allowed me to focus on myself and within myself to to work on me and then it you know allowed me to reinvent myself and uh, you know, I was laying in bed one day and did a lot of laying in bed there that first four or five weeks. And uh, I was just like, what the fuck am I gonna do? I was like, man, I live in Nashville. These bands that I've been working with for years, like Umphreys, they've been live streaming all of their concerts for years. And all these artists that live in Nashville are home right now. No one's touring. I need to figure out how to do a live stream and then start bringing these artists into my house and just work with them. Not, you know, and I was just I was doing it for free. Just like, hey, come in, let's do a show, let's work together. And uh, that's how it all got started, you know. And obviously, here we are, almost four years later. You know, I've been Umphrey's, uh, you know, their uh, their live stream producer and director now for. Uh, for two straight years it's been a great experience you know it's it's yeah. a lot of full circle moments in my life and <clears throat> i think that know, qualifies as life you know living a life beyond our wildest dreams it does it's fucking beautiful yeah like man when you're dealing with live video live production i will tell you that it's never ceases to be challenging because it's every day it's a new problem and it's figuring out how to fix that problem, bypass that problem, overcome that problem. And, uh, you know, it's, it just, it keeps you on your toes and, and 
man, I couldn't imagine having to do that kind of problem solving if I was baked out of my fucking mind or something, right? Like, it's amazing. Uh, You're the second person who has said almost the exact same thing to me in the last uh, 12, 24 hours. So I, I was talking to Rory mm-hmm. Dolan yesterday, the drummer from Most Special, who played with Humphreys yeah. the last two nights. And killed it the last two nights. Fucking, I mean, killed it is an understatement. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm like, yeah. dude, you crushed it. That was amazing. And he went into this very, like, uh, systematic music nerd, which I love. Right? I'm not saying that's, that's a compliment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk, conversation about Getty Lee from Rush saying how you need to be so sharp on your skills that when the problems come up, not if the problems come up, when the problems comes up, you can, on a dime, adapt and change and seamlessly fix those problems. Because if you don't know what you're doing and if you're not sharp, uh, those problems are going to arise and they're going to freak you out. They're going to scare you. They're going to knock you off your game. They're going to they're gonna stop you. They're going to stall you. They're going to they're gonna hurt you. But if your game is sharp, you see the problem, you deal with it, you move on to the next one. And he was talking about drumming, and I was like, holy fuck, that's recovery. And you're talking about video production. I'm like, holy fuck, that's recovery. Like, that's, that's what we do. That's why we go to meetings regularly. That's why we work with our sponsors. That's why we, why we use the tools so that, you know, I've got 15 different arrows in my quiver because different situations call for different tools. And so, um, yeah, I love the fact that you can have that conversation and, like, and understand that you're really fucking good at what you do, not so that you can do one thing, it's so that you can do all of it, you know, with, with different skill sets. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, in life, I think uh, a lot of what separates um, successful people from people that are not as successful is that ability to overcome the obstacles in their way, to the, the problems, the you know, those moments to get through those and get through them successfully is what separates a lot of a lot of people from others. I say that a lot when it comes to what we do in, in here in the video production world. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a lot of editing to do. I'm going to give you a, a big hug, which is a different way than I normally close this out. Uh, but uh, I appreciate you letting me be here and interview you. And uh, we got a we got a big day. We got a New Year's show tonight. Three sets of Humphreys. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you taking the time out of your day to meet with me. Yeah. How cool was it to get it to do it here with this backdrop in a venue while they're setting up for New Year's? While we're talking, they're they're pulling the balloons. balloons They're going up. Uh, They have some other surprises in store uh, for tonight. And uh, you know, by the time uh, by the time this comes out, everyone will uh, everyone will know how it went down. (laughs) That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. That's that's two thousand balloons. 2,000 balloons? Yep. That's beautiful. Yep. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All right, uh, buddy. And with that, on with the show. On with the show. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
the progressive brilliance of musical wizards, Umphreys McGee, and of course, all the dead you can handle. It's a musical feast for your ears, and it's all at Flash City Records. And if that wasn't enough, they also have your favorite band apparel and collectibles too. Flash City Records believes in delivering the best customer service because, let's face it, music is more than just notes and beats, it's an experience. Their dedicated team prides themselves on making sure that every time you shop with Flash City Records, the experience is as smooth as a well-played guitar riff. And with lightning-fast shipping, you'll have your favorite tunes at your doorstep before you can say encore. Order by 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, and your order will be shipped out within 24 hours with free shipping on all orders over $100. So whether you're searching for the classics you grew up with or exploring the latest sounds, Flash City Records is your one-stop shop because your musical journey deserves nothing less. A little bit about our speaker. So I've been lucky enough to call Keith a friend for uh, close to 10 years, and uh, we've seen each other at shows. Keith has an incredible story, which he's going to share with you, of going from uh, from rock bottom to rock photographer. Is, I think that's a pretty good coined phrase. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trademark that motherfucker. That's mine now. But <laughs> he um, he's a good dude, and every time I get to see him, it's a good day. I'm really grateful for being able to be a part of uh, watching what he's done over the last decade. It's been, it's been really beautiful. So uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear his story and I'm not going to delay much longer for everybody mutes. We've got a tradition to do a little countdown and uh, tell our speaker how much we love him. So at the count of three, if you all would unmute and tell him that. So three, two, one, we love you, Keith. Thanks for yeah, being cool. here, Keith. You're all right. Keith. You're awesome. Love you. See you. And with that, the room is yours, Keith. Thanks, Benji. Um, my name's Keith. I'm alcoholic and addict. And my uh, sober date is uh, October 31st, 2007. So I just celebrated 16 years uh, a couple of months ago. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for... Uh, each and every day and and all this uh you know i feel like i'm on borrowed time uh because of the uh the the alcoholic and the addict that i was but um you know i uh i don't know if i'm the only one on this chat uh tonight that uh their last drunk uh ended up being a um getting arrested uh, at a preschool playground half naked. But, you know, um, that's not how things started out in my life, you know. And um, I, I think I always had uh, big ideas, right? Like I'm oh, in my whole life, I always thought big. I, I, I had goals. I, you know, uh, wanted to do amazing things, but... You know, I think I always lacked uh, a lot of drive. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I was, I was lazy. I didn't want to put the work in. I, uh, you know, I, I, 
just never had the determination that I think a lot of other people had, but, you know, I grew up in a, you know, I had a fairly good childhood. Um, you know, I think the, the issue with, with my childhood is uh, one that a lot of people can relate to, but, you know, there are a lot of functioning alcoholics in my family. My parents were functioning alcoholics. My grandma was a functioning alcoholic. Um, my younger brother ended up uh, becoming a drug addict uh, as well. You know, it's just, you know, it, uh, growing up, I thought drinking every night was normal. I didn't realize that, that people didn't do that because that's what my parents did. I didn't realize that, you know, after your kid's basketball game, going straight to the liquor store and cracking open, cracking open a six pack on your way home wasn't something that, that other parents did. Um, so already I think like, you know, I got really comfortable and really used to abnormal behaviors. Uh, and for a long time, uh, my brother was four years younger than I am. So for, for a long time, I was the only child. And both sets of grandparents absolutely spoiled me. Um, there wasn't any other grandchildren. I got what I want, uh, what I wanted when I wanted it. And I know looking back that, you know, that set a really bad precedent uh, uh, for me. Um, early in life, uh, early in life, I had a lot of isms in, uh, that, that came back that, you know, looking back at, uh, the way that I used food, that I used sugar and, and candy and ice cream and all of that stuff. I used that to comfort myself, um, long before I ever picked up a drink. And, and I remember if it was in the refrigerator or in the cupboard, like I would eat until it was all gone. You know, uh, I never had any willpower. Um, I went to a, a private school growing up, uh, went to a Lutheran school, uh, kindergarten through, uh, through eighth grade. And uh, I was just telling my roommate about this the other night, uh, I have a new roommate. So really getting to know each other and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I was telling him like that going to that private school was one of the worst experiences. Uh, you know, it, uh, uh, we were, we weren't well off like the other, uh, families in the private school. And, um, I was also overweight. So, um, you know, kids made fun of me and, and I really didn't have any friends and, um, all of that stuff really, uh, kind of, uh, contributed to some things later on in my life that, that I'll touch on. Um, I played a lot of sports. I played, uh, played football and for someone as big as I was, that was definitely the sport that I excelled at. Uh, I played baseball and, and I played basketball, but 
um, basketball. I was just basically a part of the, uh, I think I was a part of the, uh, the practice squad more or less, you know, someone else has to, has to guard the, uh, the starting center, but, um, getting out of, uh, out of school and, and moving into public school was, was a huge eye opener for me. Um, I know that I was definitely a little bit ahead academically than the other uh, kids in the public schools, but you know, I I think I was so sheltered um, being at the private school uh, socially uh, and things like that. Um, you know, at, at the private school, I didn't have any friends that introduced me to alcohol or to any drugs but you know like I kind of already touched on I got enough of that uh, at home already and uh, you know my dad you know he wasn't uh, just a drinker you know he liked to to do uh, uh, other things as well and and I remember you know hearing him and his friends uh over in the corner of the garage, you know, um, coughing their lungs out and, and stuff like that as memories really, really young. But, um, <clears throat> high school was, was, was a lot different than my elementary. Um, I, uh, had some friends that, you know, that I told that my dad, uh, did smoke weed and, they they encouraged me to uh to steal some of it so we could all go out and smoke it and uh you know, i think that i didn't re i never got a buzz off of it until maybe like the 15th or 20th time that that i tried it um but i remember once i tried it you know it was you know I thought it was one of the most amazing things ever. And not to mention how it made me feel, um, but also the way, you know, I felt like a part of a group of people. And like I touched on a second ago, not having a bunch of friends, not hanging out with people, not having all of those things prior now, you know, I, I had these friendships with the people that I was getting high with. And, you know, uh, that to me was, was one of the biggest attractions uh, was that, that aspect of it. Um, shortly after that, uh, I remember um, getting drunk for the first time. I was 15 and a half uh, when I when I first got drunk. And I remember some of those aspects uh, like it was yesterday. Uh, I was at my grandparents. I was stealing my grandma's vodka and doing the classic teenager thing of filling it back up with water, right? And um, And I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. And... You know, the fact that I woke up just swimming in my own throw up didn't bother me whatsoever, you know, and I feel like, you know, normal people that, uh, you know, they, uh, 
I'm not sure that they are, would have been as excited as I was to do that all over again if they woke up the way I woke up and felt the way that I felt that particular day. But, you know, it it gave me a feeling uh, that I often describe as as it, right? Like, I felt it. And then after after that first time, I was always searching for it my whole life. And I drank, uh, I drank like an alcoholic pretty much out the gate. Um, there was no gradual increase. Uh, you know, there was no period for me to where, you know, I just had a few drinks, uh, right out the gate. You know, when I started drinking, I couldn't stop, you know, I, I, I completely can relate to the ph phenomenon of craving and the obsession of the mind and, you know, just that drive to, to get drunk and to feel that warmth down in my body after taking a big swill off of whatever. And, you know, to, to feel that, 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 I don't know, that, that happiness that, that it brought me for, for many, many years before it turned on me. Um, and it wasn't very long uh, after my first, uh, my first drink and, and my first drug that I started going to jail. Um, I, I was pretty much a jail magnet there uh, my entire drinking career. And, you know, you're, I'm talking, you know, a number of DUIs and of course, uh, underage drinking and public intoxication. And then I graduated to things like, uh, dealing and, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and it went on and on for, for many years. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there was a definite point uh, in my life where, you know, that I just, I couldn't find that it feeling anymore. And, you know, no longer was it fun. It was uh, the entire focus of my life was waking up and, um, and just figuring out how I'm going to feed my addiction and my alcoholism. And, and it, and it consumed me. You know, I went through uh, a lot of different phases. Uh, you know, I was always a, a hippie at heart because uh, one of the first concerts that I ever went to um, as a teenager was a fish concert with one of my friends' sisters. So uh, we went with a bunch of older kids and partied our ass off. And I thought that shit was the greatest ever. The lot scene, like how nice everyone was. They're all sharing their drugs. And those were my kind of people. Uh, not that I was going to share any of my drugs, but I love people that, that were going to share theirs with me. Um, you know, I was, I was always that person that, you know, if I had some drugs, I had the drugs I was showing you I had, and then I had the other bag that was in my back pocket or, 
um, hidden for me to do uh, in the bathroom or when no one was looking. Um, you know, I always had to make sure that, you know, I didn't want to run out. You know, I wanted to keep that going each and every day as long as it was possible. And there was a phase where, where I was going to raves and uh, partying at rave parties uh, Saturday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'd finally go to bed Sunday afternoon, uh, usually after after a weekend of that. So I was introduced to a lot of new drugs uh, during that phase of, of my addiction. And then I kind of graduated to... Uh, you know, to the much, much, much harder drugs and and the ones that uh, rendered me uh, unemployable and homeless and completely, utterly helpless and you know, really made me uh, into a person that, you know, I didn't even recognize anymore. You know, I'm I'm stealing, I'm I'm lying and manipulating people and my family at a level that uh you know that just I'd never done before. And you know I know that uh, every step along the way got me exactly to where I was supposed to be and and got me uh you know into uh into the rooms and uh, got me one step closer to my sobriety. But some of the, some of the manipulating and some of the things I did to my family, you know, still pops up into my head sometimes. And uh, I think that, you know, there's definitely a little bit of regret there for uh, the way I treated people like, like my grandmother and, and my mom and, and things like that. But, you know, uh, I uh, I was living in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, when when I was homeless, and panhandling and boosting and and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember waking up one day and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And and I remember when I used to go door to door mowing yards so I could get some money to feed my habit and. Man, I used to think to myself when I was doing that, if I put this kind of effort towards something productive, then I might be able to to do something with my life. But that day that I woke up, I uh, I I walked over to uh, to the uh, Catholic church that was just a couple of blocks away, and. I walked in and I kind of told them what was going on, uh, my addiction and all of that kind of stuff. And I said, I just really want to get back to my hometown. And they found a couple of people in their church that were willing to to drive me down to Columbus. And, and they took me down there and, and they dropped me off. And you know, I'm really grateful for, for people like that uh, that were put into my life, uh, you know, for a reason, because that got me one step closer to uh you know to to the life that that i have now but you know i wasn't done when completely done when i got down to columbus 
uh, I was still facing jail time over my third DUI. And uh, I went to uh, went to court and and they put me on like a year of house arrest or or something like that. Uh, the problem was, is, you know, I still had some addiction, uh, major addiction things going on with uh, pharmaceuticals and stuff. And so, you know, I was, uh, I was still abusing drugs and all of that kind of stuff on house arrest, uh, which, you know, that's, it was just a matter of time until, uh, all of my chances were, were going to be over. Um, and, and like, I kind of touched on my last drunk, my last, that last drunk that, that I got arrested, it happened while I was on house arrest. Um, I uh, took some pharmaceuticals, uh, threw my house arrest stuff in a backpack um, because the power and the phone lines were out because of the storm and uh, went to the bar and started drinking with my house arrest uh, equipment in a backpack uh, right next to me. And on the way home was when I wrecked my bicycle um, because, of course, I didn't have a license. And uh, I passed out. Uh, when I wrecked my bike, I passed out uh, at some point after uh, vomiting on myself and taking those clothes off. And so that's uh, kind of how I woke up at that playground was surrounded by police officers. And they saw my house arrest bracelet and they decided that... Uh, I needed to uh, you know, head down to jail, and at that point, I didn't think that I didn't think that I was going to get out of jail. I had all that time hanging over my head. I hadn't, you know, been doing the right things uh, on house arrest. But after two days, I I went to jail or went in front of the went in front of the judge and my house arrest officer and uh, uh, some other members from community corrections were there. And to my surprise, um, that judge let me out, uh, let me out of jail that day. And I went to my house and uh, I'd been arrested right across the street from my house. So that's how close uh, I almost made it home. Um, but they saw me get arrested and they kicked me out of uh my living arrangements there, which was just a sleeping room. I was renting a bedroom and sharing uh, a bathroom with a bunch of strangers. And that was my, my living arrangements, but they had my stuff all boxed up for me, uh, which was pretty nice of them. And so I grabbed that stuff and I was, had my, had the box in my hand because that's how much I, that's how many belongings I, I owned as well. It fit into one box and into my hands. And I, I know there's a few points in my life where uh, I had started over so many times I could relate to, you know, to over and over again, just not having, you know, clothes or all the things that, that normal people have. But I was backing out of that door, the front door uh, in into the screen door and I turned and was facing south, um, slightly, slightly southwest. And at that exact moment, um, I had my, my spiritual experience. And it's something that I remember just like it was yesterday. 
and and it was you know it was sudden it was out of nowhere and in that exact moment everything changed for me um i had i had been going to uh uh, an IOP class because it was uh, and it was required uh, through my court sentencing, and you know uh, I'd been going to into twelve uh, step meetings and all of that stuff uh, to uh, you know as as a part of the IOP program, but I hadn't stopped you know uh, using drugs and and substances uh, up until that point. But the uh, my point is, is I had been there and I had heard people sharing. Uh, a lot of seeds were planted, and and I looked around and I saw people that had a way of life that I didn't understand. They they were happy. They were always joking around and and having a good time, and you know, I didn't do any of those things like. You know, I always felt like if you had my life, you wouldn't be laughing or joking around either, uh, you know, because life is always fucking me over and, you know, nobody's on my side. And the reality of that is, is like, you know, I did everything to myself uh, and, you know, just kept repeating everything over and over again, even if it looked completely different, you know, whether I lived in a different city or, you know, lived in a different house, my alcoholism and, and my drug addiction, you know, went everywhere, uh, went everywhere with me. But, you know, I started listening to the suggestions in the rooms and, you know, I was at that point uh, willing to, uh, I was willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. And I did the 90 and 90. And, you know, some days I went to two meetings. And, you know, uh, for the first time in my life, I, you know, the how, you know, I had some honesty, I, I was open to the suggestions, and I was willing to to put that into action. And, you know, I started to slowly see, see some changes in my life. Um, you know, each day uh, that I didn't pick up a, a drink or a drug, you know, life got a little bit better by a little bit better. And I think the people around me, particularly uh, my family and, and such, I think they started uh, noticing more of the changes in my life than I did at first, but you know the the promises started coming true in my life, and you know it was all because I was able to uh, not pick up one day at a time. And I know there were a lot of days where where it was one hour at a time or one minute at a time, um, but you know this program has really given me tools to, to, to live my life and, you know, uh, to improve my life. Uh, my sponsor now tells me that, you know, uh, talks about this program really being, uh, about relationships and having healthy relationships and living a healthy life. 
And, you know, I had none of those skills uh, when I came into these rooms. You know, I was consumed by, uh, you know, I was selfish, inconsiderate and self-centered. Uh, that was how I ran my life. I mean, since I can remember, because even as a child, when I was spoiled, uh, you know, by my by my grandparents, like it was all about me. And when my brother was born, you know, I used to kick his ass if he touched my toy tractor or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, because, you know, I didn't want to share with him, uh, you know, that was my toy. And, you know, for the first time in my life, because of this program, it, it wasn't all about me. And there, you know, I think uh, that's given my life a whole new meaning is not be so focused on myself all of the time. And being able to, you know, ask others, uh, you know, how are they doing? Or, you know, go up to somebody after a meeting that you hear. I had a friend the other day who I just found out he lost his job and was really struggling with mental health. And, you know, being able to go up and, and talk, to, talk to them uh, about how they're doing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, care about other people. Um, I had another friend who messaged me on Facebook last week and was struggling and, you know, was at a place I could really relate to, you know, not wanting to die, but not wanting to live, not wanting to carry on because, you know, uh, the alcoholism was so bad. And, you know, I was able to uh, connect that person with some other women uh, where in the state that they live and, you know, uh, I haven't talked to him in two days, but I really hope that they were able to, uh, to get into, to a program, but, you know, uh, being able to 12 strap other people and, you know, being able to, uh, carry the message, um, the program of recovery, it's, it's really easy to focus on and live a program of recovery that one hour a day that you're in a meeting, you know, but I think uh, it's more important for me to take that program with me the other 23 hours a day and, you know, really uh, implement everything into my daily life and, you know, into every relationship that, that I have. Um, you know, there's just, there's so many tools that, that I've gotten from, from this program, from the steps to, you know, gratitude lists. That was, that was something that I, my, that, uh, I picked up really early in recovery on a day that, uh, I had started thinking about, you know, oh, wait, it's snowing outside on snow days. I usually, go hit up the liquor store and then the dope man's house. And then I head home and, you know, just kind of uh, stay at the house and, and all of that all day long uh, getting effed up. And so it was on my mind and I called somebody uh, in the program and they told me to sit down and write a gratitude list about the things that I'm grateful for today. And by the time I got done writing that list, the, the those thoughts that I had were were gone and I was able to look at that list and you know really appreciate uh where my life uh where it was and that was 
probably 45, 60 days sober. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I have a lot of gratitude um, for this program because I don't, I sometimes feel like I don't deserve, you know, the life that I have today. Um, you know, and, and I'm very grateful, uh, for having, uh, that life and not picking up a drink because I am an alcoholic and, you know, not drinking for me is abnormal. You know, I'm supposed to drink. So each and every day that I don't pick up is an absolute miracle. Um, but man, life, life is a journey. And, uh, you know, re recovery has been a journey as well. Um, I had all that, all that willingness there in early recovery and, you know, the promises coming true in my life and, you know, a really gave me this wonderful life. And then, uh, that life got really busy and all the things in my life, uh, you know, relationship and, and gave me my first career. You know, I had my first career at what was I like 20, 28, 29, something like that. You know, um, but my life got really busy and, um, my recovery took a back seat to, uh, to everything in my life. And I wasn't making a lot of meetings and uh, wasn't working with my sponsor or, you know, thinking about recovery or working the steps or anything like that. And, you know, I white knuckled, I white knuckled it for, for many, many years. And uh, it wasn't up until COVID that, uh, that I kind of uh, ended up back, you know, setting, setting on the, the center of the blanket instead of at the edges. Uh, uh, by that time, um, I had lost that first career that, that I had. Um, I, the relationship that I had uh, ended up uh, becoming, she became my wife and uh, and then she became my ex-wife shortly after that. And uh, I, I didn't want to sit there and uh, kind of focus on the fact that I'd just gone through a divorce and my stepson no, no longer, uh, you know, was no longer there in my life. And so I decided that I should probably pick up a new hobby. So uh, to fill that big hole in my life that all of those things left when, when they were no longer uh, there, uh, I went out to Sam's Club and bought my first camera that year. And uh, that was the hobby that I started filling, filling my, time, uh, my time with. Um, and about two months after I bought my first camera uh, was, well, that was when I lost my job. So I no longer had a job. Uh, I was really enjoying photography. Uh, I had some friends that were uh, taking their cameras and they were shooting concerts. And I thought that was pretty fucking cool. So I decided that, 
that was what I was going to try to do. Um, I think somewhere right around six months of owning a camera, um, I got my first photo pass and it was at uh, White River State Park in Indianapolis. And the first band that I ever shot on a main stage was Umphreys McGee. So, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I had listened. I've gone to Umphreys shows in the past. Uh, I, I remember and have pictures still of me fanboying the band members at the Super Bowl show they did downtown Indianapolis when Indianapolis hosted the, the Super Bowl. And I have pictures up against the fence with the guys behind the fence, like about to get on the tour bus. But yeah, that was that was my first photo pass. And you know, I could say that by that time, I was really addicted to photography. Um, and it was something that um, that I really, really wanted to try to make turn into something. And, you know, if it wasn't for the program of recovery um, and, you know, everything that that gave me, there's no way that I could have ever taken, you know, a hobby like photography and ever turned it into, into a career. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of gratitude, uh, in my life, uh, for that. Um, I, I, I remember those years, people in, in the rooms would go up to my sponsor and be like, I see Keith at concerts every week, like three times a week. Like he's drink, like he's drinking, right? Like he, and you know, and and he would tell him, no, he's not drinking. He's you know, he's sober. And you know, a lot of these people don't know, uh, especially in the town, little town that I got sober in in Indiana. But they they know nothing about yellow balloon groups or you know the kind of. Uh, community that's in the music industry when it comes to recovery and you know i'm really grateful for all of the close friends some of my best friends that i've met at those tables at shows over the years and you know grateful for you know, just how much all of uh the other relationships in the music industry that i have be because of you know uh the program and and sobriety and you know it's it's all been a, a really amazing thing. Um, so, and when I moved to Nashville, though, I moved to Nashville about four, just over four years ago. And I decided that after I moved and then COVID hit and I started going back to meetings and I started going every day and I really just um, threw myself back into recovery at, uh, completely. And I, I knew I needed to get a new sponsor. And so uh, that's what I spent, you know, some months uh, not looking for a sponsor, but listening for a sponsor, you know, listening to people share in the rooms and listening for someone that had uh, recovery that I wanted, that, that I would be able to work with them. And, you know, uh, they would share their, their experience and strength and hope with me. Uh, the guy who sponsors me, who who ended up becoming my sponsor, uh, he was the guitar player for, uh, well, for Holland Oates for many years, for Rod Stewart, for for Eric Clapton, 
and he's definitely someone that understands uh, the life on the road and, you know, traveling all the time and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think we're, we're definitely a good fit and uh, there's a lot I would love to share about my other sponsors. Um, but, you know, I'm really grateful for the one that I have now. I, yeah. I was kind of getting towards the, the, the end anyway, you know, uh, I just want to keep trudging that road to happy destiny and, you know, uh, keep, uh, not picking up one day at a time and, and, you know, keep being uh, a miracle by, by doing that and, you know, be a living example of this program, uh, to people in my life. And, and some of those people will never, you know, uh, that may be their only uh, introduction to uh, a program of recovery. So, you know, I just want to continue to do that. Um, there, are, there are a couple of things that I want to, yeah, uh, one last thing. I said life is a journey and, you know, that journey has been a lot of, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, you know, ups, uh, you know, getting married, and getting new careers and getting to work for fish a couple of months ago for the very first time here in Nashville, those were ups and, and things that, you know, that brought me the, you know, to so much joy. Uh, but there's also been a lot of downs and, you know, uh, the loss of my grandmother and my brother was murdered uh, when I was six years sober, uh, my divorce, all of these other things. And it's just an absolute miracle that throughout all of those experiences, I never thought about picking up a drink or a drug. I use that tool chest uh, uh, that this program has given me and, you know, took my ass to meetings, picked up the phone, talked to other people and didn't run or hide from my feelings. Uh, and I'm really grateful for all of that. And thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Keith. I love it. I'll get us kicked off. Um, Keith, I, I, I love hearing you tell your story. Um, you know, it's, a, it's amazing how you can uh, hear somebody share something and, and know, like, we didn't grow up in the same town. We didn't grow up with the same siblings. We didn't grow up with the same parents. And we had such a similar experience. Um, and not necessarily with the, like, the people, places, and things, but the feelings and the you know the thoughts and the and the ridiculous actions like how did you know to fuck around with alcohol the way that you did exactly the same way that I did like how I like and the, there's only one answer and that is we're both alcoholics you know um and so when when I hear somebody share those things and I'm like god that's exactly what I did I'm like oh that's because I'm in the right place and you know it's 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 a beautiful thing it's a beautiful reminder to me so uh, I, I always love hearing people share their stories and uh, say those things that just remind me like I'm in the right place and with the right people and I'm doing the right thing and I get to live, you know, a, a decent life because I'm doing those, I'm doing this, you know, and um, I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, I think it's uh, poetic and beautiful that your first gig was with Umfries and I'm very happy about that and i uh i'm looking forward to you texting me those pictures because i definitely want to see them so 
um yeah with that i'll i'll pass tables open i'll take a share i'm hannah i'm an alcoholic and a drug addict keith thank you so much for your share um i resonated with so much of it uh, especially in the beginning you talked about like alcoholic behavior before you started drinking and i remember like crushing boxes of captain crunch and being like how can i not stop like it just from a young age you know and then that first drunk um yeah just all of those feelings you expressed really brought me back to that of like this is it this is the thing that i was looking for um and your journey through recovery is just really impressive and your time is awesome. And um, I liked how you talked about it waxing and waning and kind of coming back to it. And um, yeah, I've seen your photography too. It's badass. Keep up the good work. Thanks for your share. I'll share more and I'm an alcoholic and a pal. Um, thank you, Keith, for sharing your story. There were... Um, quite a few similarities, especially the childhood stuff. You know, I grew up around a lot of partying and um, seeing my mom, like, God bless her, you know, she, she would smoke out of a soda can. So I'd find these soda cans with, like, that had a hole in them with, like, you know, burnt marks around them. And I was just like, what the hell is this? Like, it's this heroin, you know? Like, I totally had this, you know, at a... At an age where I was, I was too young to be, be, be able to like kind of, you know, know what was happening. And, you know, I could definitely relate on the front of, you know, the ups and downs in recovery and the dramatic incidences like, you know, arrests and, you know, I had a hospitalization at one point and just really bad things happening that were like, okay, there's obviously a serious problem here um that I just wasn't ready to face yet but I'm always in awe of people that are in recovery that are in industries where one would think there it was a, you know a slippery environment you know where there's a lot of uh drugs and alcohol and from what I can gather it, it's it might be not as bad as I'm thinking or might be you know cleaning up like sobriety is becoming more accepted and a lot of you know artists are sober getting sober and so you know the fact that you can be around that all the time like I, I really um I really admire that I think it's really cool when you know addicts that are in recovery or alcoholics that are in recovery you know you guys make us look good in uh in that regard working in those industries that's what I'm trying to say so thank you for <clears throat> again for sharing and I love your dogs I also have a blue nose pit bull they're the absolute best we're getting another one after we get married so we can have two like you do but anyways good to see you I think the one and only time I met you was in Nashville and I actually got COVID that night so that was that was an interesting experience but anyways I'll shut up thanks hey um, my name's Jackie Keith, thanks a lot for your share, man. Uh, what you said there at the end is uh, golden. It's so fucking true. Like, in life, there's so many ups and downs, you know? Um, but feeling those feelings is uh, key. Sitting with those feelings and uh, getting through it. So thanks for uh, throwing that in there at the end. I appreciate it. I'll jump in real quick. My name is Dave. I'm an alcoholic. 
And uh, thank you very much for your story. I could relate to uh, to a lot of it. You brought back an, a, a childhood memory of me actually getting to the point where I would uh, be sucking up Nestle's quick powder straight from the box with a straw. So, you know, <laughs> um, if I knew then what I know now, um, and it definitely hasn't been all rainbows and unicorns, but I can tell you it's been pretty fucking great for most of this time, despite all the, the lifey stuff I've had to deal with. And it's great to be here with you all tonight. Uh, we have a tradition of closing out the meeting with holding hands with the person in the box next to us. If you have a dog next to you, you can hold a paw. Um, I'm going to hold my wife's foot. She is here on the couch. You can see her foot right there. Um, <laughs> Keith, you want to take us out? Dude version? Dude. Dude. Fantasy serenity. To accept the things, things we cannot change. change. Courage. Courage to change the things, change things, we, things we, can. we can. And the wisdom of the No difference. Thank Love you so much for sharing. Love you guys. Good night, everybody.